the king ant of anti-Brexit FBPE Twitter uh, lawyer and Corbyn skeptic AC uh, Grayling QC uh, Jolly and Mom um, ended his Christmas celebrations or rather begun his Boxing Day celebrations by tweeting out that he has just killed a fox in his garden with a baseball bat wearing his wife's green short green kimono and I feel like as an ending to the Brexit saga, one of its most prominent campaigners, one of Britain's sensible voices of reason, all this stuff, just hauling off and murdering a fox wearing his wife's kimono with a baseball bat on Christmas in the morning is the most Cohen Brothers possible way for this <laughs> saga to close. His brain is just fully broken. And I think it's yeah. just like... It is a fitting way to end this thing. And it's also just an example of like all those people that spent so much time outside of parliament, like um, trying to kind of just shout their way to rejoin the EU, um, who now like just don't really have anything to do. We will see like various iterations of this exact same story over the next month. Well, first of all, I'd like to say I really support Jolian Moore. I'm taking a strong stance on furries. I think <laughs> that, that is very important and something that we at Trash Future stand four square behind. And also, it's just given me an amazing vision. Like, it's we do like, not stand behind the yeah, furries. It's June 2020. You're watching like Dave or Bravo, one of those kind of, you know, mid-tier satellite channels. Exactly, right? And then, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the channel like host announcement comes on and then it's like, like, up's next, you'll be watching Home Pest Control with Joe Swinson and Jolian Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I never drew that. Uh, I never drew that together. Yeah. But I just like the idea that they're going to make a Brexit movie or and it's going to end with the 2019 election. And then like the, the, the final scene is going to be like the scene in Layer Cake where it plays Duran Duran's Ordinary World. It's just Jolian Mom in slow motion beating a fox. Yes, I, I, Swinson I, just garroting a badger going, this thing. really says why we need to remain in the EU. <laughs> well, that's like, like, Nate, you're right. Like That is the only way that you could and a good movie about the entire Brexit saga is just all of the sort of animating righteous fury of the center dispelling over all of the woodland critters of Britain. <laughs> well, also, I think it was, it's one of those things, too, that people, people probably don't realize that this became international news. And it's like people don't realize. I mean, I, for one, was shocked by how prevalent foxes are in cities here because you and I were walking down the street to go get beers one time before we recorded an episode. And I was like, Riley, there's a fox walking down the street. And you're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, is this normal? I Classic just got well, written like Fox. three weeks prior. And you're like, you know, yes, it happens all the time. Not if we remain in the EU, then Jolie and mom will finally be empowered to clean Britain's streets. Okay, I'm going to use oh, this yeah. opportunity to jump in and just say, what the fuck is going on in Britain? Welcome to the first episode of Trash Future Season 2 in 2020. Uh, it is a full full studio crew today with uh, myself, Riley, Hussein. Yeah, it's uh, me, Guido, Guido Muhammad. Uh, <laughs> Milo. Uh, Guido Jihad. Um, yeah, it's me, your boy. I've got a terrible crick in my neck, so let's see how this goes. Yep. And uh, Nate on Hi, the boards. it's me. I'm... Uh, just embracing my cyclist daddom. I cycled in today and I was just like, oh, this is so orderly. I love the universe that I live in. Mm. And, <laughs> and, and, and joining us from Bunta Vista, morning, Theo. Oh, bloody good day. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
we're we're just fine, Theo, here oh. in here in London. That's... I thought a guy killed a fox, and I said, "Crikey!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody no. could do a can check. There? Was there any need to beat it to death? It was already on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh, my. We love Australia as a thing. We gotta make the, none of this is meant to be derisive. We absolutely we're fascinated by Australia. Oh, it would be um, it would be way more fitting with our culture if it was derisive. No, I'm just just putting yeah. that out there. I saw an amazing Russian meme the other day where it was of like the Russian riot police arresting a guy, but they were holding him upside down and putting him like head first into a van. <laughs> and it was just captioned Russian police arrest Australian tourists. <laughs> Um, also, I find it very funny that just due to the quirks of the online lefty podcast diverse, our vision of what Australia is, is um, very nice and polite and measured and calm people. Now just you, like everyone now you else's have vision. been in our Discord, though. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay. And uh, what, what is Australia if not just a giant Discord server? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, mm. it's, it's a giant Discord server that England made everybody join a while ago. Yeah. Um, right, so uh, with uh, with Theo's help, we are going to jump through a few of the topics that have, have come up and have bubbled up to the surface of the Turd Bowl today. Um, mostly they are going to be about the visions of the future that have emerged in the United Kingdom now that we all live in a Dominic Cummings blog post. So, but first... I, I want to uh, talk about the, uh, the hottest ticket of 2020, the coolest event where you can see and be seen by all of the movers and shakers of classical free speech liberalism, Andrew Doyle and Douglas Murray's double act that's barnstorming theaters up and down the country, resisting wokeness. Damn. So Very cool. It's yeah. a, they're, they're, they're just hawking sleeping pills now. <laughs> at, at this point, I mean, like, I don't know. We, like, I, we told you this was coming in the sort of post-election ep- episode, right? We told you that these people, even though they have ev- they have an iron grip on every single rung of political power, the people who want to make the country like just worse for everyone who isn't them, they're going to like pretend to be a victim forever. Andrew Doyle could be made the DCMS secretary, and he could still find a way to turn himself mm. into a victim somehow at the mercy of someone who just doesn't want him to do his B grade club comedy about like the how girls how, are dumb basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's d- basically what it boils down to. Yeah, he do- does. No, people don't yeah. want him to do that, and he could be. He could. He could. No matter how powerful he gets, he will never be happy because he just hates that there are other people out there who. Are trying to make him make him feel um, uh, somehow like a bad person. I was going to ask if I could jump in and ask a question. I don't know if this deviates from the plan of the show. Theo, since the uh, since the coalition won again in Australia, and now are, are happily you know hawking coal across the entire universe and just watching Australia burn and be like, oh yes, but the coal mines are doing well. Are they also permanently aggrieved and just whining and bitching about how how basically like it should be illegal to not like them? Oh oh, absolutely. We've got we have like a whole spectrum of those dipshits. We've got like. Um, super like fundamental um, religious types that are um, basically like taking any mandate to um, we, we talked about this a bit in either the last episode or the episode before where um, the government's trying to push through a whole bunch of like a whole raft of um, religious discrimination laws which you kind of you hear that and you go oh you know that that's good it, it's not nice for people to be able to religiously discriminate but they are specifically for the intent of, of discriminating um, religiously, it's incredible. Like, go on Twitter, go on like 
the the timelines are an absolute waste at the moment. Um, but like more when you were when you were talking about this one, I thought like this is you hate to see like you know the worst people emboldened by um, terrible people getting into government, right? But like. What you almost hate to see more is just these kinds of people get emboldened, the kind of people that, like, tell a joke at Christmas lunch and everyone just kind of, like, smiles and turns their head away. They don't want to make eye contact with them. So, they go, oh, you know, uh, I better get on the stage and and tell these shitty jokes, uh, you know, at whatever your version of uh, the the shittiest bar in Brisbane is. I don't know. What is that? Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. comedy? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Where's it begin with that? <laughs> yeah. No, but I, 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 I take your point though. The whole thing of like, because the, the the style of joke that these people are trying to defend from the woke onslaught or whatever is basically just the same jokes that that people were making it's in the nineteen nineties about hating mm-hmm. your wife. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like so. You guys sent me the notes, and I looked this guy up because I had no idea who he was, and. Like, I got, like, one sentence in, and I just thought, that is fucking boring. Like, I don't think yeah. what what these people don't understand is it's- We don't hate them because we're, you know, triggered or, or whatever. It's just boring. It's so- it's really stupid. It's so yeah. dishwater. Yeah. It's part of the two, like, there's, like, there's, like, two genders of, like, incredibly commercially successful comedy in Britain. It's, like, people like Andrew Doyle, who all these, like, dads show up and they're, like, oh, I wonder what piece of military equipment he's going to identify as this time. Wow, what a thrill ride. Yeah. And there are all these, like, fawning articles from his mates who are all, like, high up in the fucking culture desks of various national newspapers who are, like, Andrew Doyle is a visionary. He does, you know, there's a picture of him with tape over his mouth going, like, he won't let anyone science him. He tells it like it is. Or, like, does or does he just say like boring shit and then the other the other gender of fucking uh, commercially successful British comedy is like uh like kind of like comedians who are doing something that's like notionally woke but in a way that like no one on the left would consider progressive in any way it's oh, just yeah. like dumb like I'm actually a strong independent woman and the fact that my dad is a millionaire is irrelevant <laughs> like <laughs> But I, I also feel like it's, it's it's worth pointing out that British people particularly have a, a certain class of, of British commentator uh, has really glommed on to using woke as a pejorative. They, they've, they, that's become basically, and, and we've seen this in the United States too, that like from the idea of that word kind of emerging, emerging in popular consciousness, specifically with regard to the Ferguson protests and Black Lives Matter, and, and now basically being disavowed by black activists because it's only ever used in scare quotes to mean like basically... Uh, the best way I can say it is that they're like, oh, oh, you think that non-white people have e- should have equal rights and be treated equally? Ha! Huh, this is performative. You don't actually believe that. This is just this is just like an upper middle class aff- affectation. You see people using it, uh, you know, always in scare quotes. And I mean, I literally, like a BBC commentator reported on the on the election, be like, oh, they lost the working class, but they gained the woke. And I'm just like. Shut the fuck up. None of you have any idea what you're talking about. You just think that anyone who cares about social justice in any capacity is somehow play acting because, mm. I don't know, because because you think that they're all trust funders the way you are. Yeah. Well, it's and been, it's, yeah. It, it, it just it, it 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 melts my brain and it gets to the point where it's hard to even make a joke about it because it's only ever used pejoratively now by by the kind of people who would unironically retweet to Tanya McGrath. Well, I think the the before we sort of move on, the other thing to add, right, is that um, when when people when people like Andrew Doyle or whatever accuse the the left or whatever of being too woke to have the real working class, because he claims to be on the left, uh, mm. you, no one yeah. ever asks no, what course. that means. Yeah. He's on the left um, of like Pinochet. Uh, but what that? But what they? What well, you ever never ask them what they mean? And it's like, well, they 
they they don't they don't appeal to the working class because they're too woke. But then you again you look at the labor manifesto. Where's the wokeness yes, in as it? As we said, like basically, it's only scare quotes woke in its absence of directed cruelty. Yes. And the thing that I think also I would just point this out mm-hmm. is that this constantly gets brought up, and it's the idea that that Andrew Doyle rich and successful, but somehow incredibly unhappy and always constantly making himself out of a victim. Or Douglas Murray, a guy who advocates for pogroms against Muslims in Europe, is somehow here to talk about, like, we need to stop this cultural intolerance. Wokeness is actually intolerant Stalinism. It's like, no, if anything, you're the guy who probably aligns the most with Stalinism. You're the one who wants to do forced removals of certain populations. And yet that completely gets ignored because being like genocidally Islamophobic is so normalized in British media that it's basically, it's, it's, a, it's an exceptional event when a newspaper or a public figure doesn't take that line. And the thing is, right, like, I, I haven't actually, I've, on purpose, I haven't brought in any literature around this to engage in, specifically because we know what they say, and none of it has changed since, like, the whole anti-woke comedian grift started. None of it's changed. I mean, what's going to happen it's, is, yeah, I was going to say what's going to happen is it'll just be amplified at this point, yeah. right? And, like, to go back to the original point, this is, you know, for them, they're still very, they still feel that they're very much in mm. a culture war. And the only way that their culture will work is if they feel as Mission if, Impossible Five. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, they they have to feel like they're kind of on the back foot, even mm. though like they haven't been on the back foot for a very, very long time. Um, and the fact that like this is going to, you know, the show is going to sell out in like Milton Keynes and all the other like suburban Prime dad areas, dad territory, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, you know, I mean, I'm just pleased that you know Constantine <laughs> Kissing will be getting lots of lucrative support work, right? But also, like, yeah, and there's like you know, in part of that, in in part of that like framework where these guys are all associated, mm. like this is really their time to shine, and like let's not take away from the fact that they're very well aware of this. But the only way that their comedy works is through like punching down and really what it is is like it's a normalizing of punching down and for like a lack of a better word like gaslighting um and that's this is what we're gonna have to deal with for like the next but that's the thing i remember i remember just to jump in really quickly before you move on riley when when uh obama commuted chelsea manning's sentence during the period basically after trump was elected but before he was inaugurated um Brett Stevens, before he joined the New York Times, basically said, this is the reason Trump won, because mm-hmm. you, you, you lefty culture warriors and your transgenders, you know, want to defeat our, you, you, you want to sabotage our heroic military infrastructure or something to that effect. And I lost count of how many infinitesimally small events somehow caused Trump to be elected because it's like trans people exist. That's why Trump won. Black people say they should be murdered by the police. That's why Trump won. And it, invariably, no matter what happens, it's the right coalesces around this enormous amount of power, and then all of the all of, you know politics, media, dark money, et cetera, that, that allows them to have this completely unchallenged platform. And then they're like, the whatever you do to assert your right to exist, they're like, stop hitting yourself. That's why Trump won, or in this case, that's why the Tories won. And it's the same thing over and over again. And it's like, I'm sure you can find a comment on Facebook or Twitter made by a college student or something along those lines that you can then take out of context and be like, see, the left are the actual racist and intolerant ones. But it's just the same lazy shit over and over again. It's like, we have, we have gone in detail reading Boris Johnson's book. We know he's at best uh, a, a lazy trafficker in racist tropes and at worst, someone who absolutely believes that shit. And, and yet that doesn't matter. What matters is... 
I don't know, somebody on like a fucking student's Facebook group said something about like, you know, abolish gender. Mm. And well, that's enough to make them fucking what lose it, their What it minds. all comes down to is, like, we got what we wanted, which means that you have to admit it's what you wanted as well all along. Like, Yeah, and it, it should be illegal for you to not want it. And, uh, so, Theo, I'm just going to give you some space to leap in here again. <laughs> we're talking a lot. <laughs> yes. sorry. Oh, oh, sorry, I thought you were leading into something there. Um, no, and look, in Australia, it's very much it's very much the same. I mean, we have the same uh, culture warriors on, on like... Uh, from the center who believe the the left are too woke again they're like rallying against a, a, a ghost that doesn't exist and on the right who are you know absolutely fervent that um you know the society is breaking down because they saw a screenshot from tumblr with a drop down box that showed 34 genders and they've been mad for the last seven years about it, despite the <laughs> fact that they've been in power for the whole fucking time but if you want some signal as to like how um the culture wars are going in australia uh a um, I believe she was a news reporter or, or um, like a, a weather person um, posted a photo or a tweet uh, on Twitter the other day um, about uh, she stopped at a service station in the middle of nowhere. That's a, I don't know what you guys call it, petrol station, gas station. I don't know. Um, mm, and- it's, oh, that's a place where dogging happens here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Got to uh, leave that. Um, Whippets factory, <laughs> which is when you wear a kimono, get a baseball bat. <laughs> Um, you huff gas. And so she stops there and tries to take a kid inside uh, to the toilet, but won't let uh, the the owner won't let her take a kid in to go to the toilet without her buying something. And she posts a tweet. Um, that was it, and that has been an absolute meltdown in Australia for the last like three days to the point where um, a member of one of the one of our leading libertarian think tanks, which sounds ridiculous, but they get on the TV all the time, the IPA, mm. one of the members actually drove out there in his car and driving anywhere in Australia is a f- fucking hassle. So he's driven out there in, a, in his car to buy a can of Red Bull and take a shit in that toilet. Libs owned. Wow. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> that, that toilet is not alighted over any of the details. That Red toilet Bull would help you take a shit. To be that fair, that toilet is now the holy grail of Australian conservatism. Oh, Australian is. conservatives <laughs> will be go- driving from the country around just to go and drink from it. It's also <laughs> funny too because I, I point this out. I just get your perspective on this, Theo. It's just that. The Australian Labour Party is not particularly left-wing. In fact, if anything, they've done the opposite of the British Labour Party. And so it's just sort of like, it's weird to see that the culture wars are such that no matter no matter how basically center-right the ostensible left option mm-hmm. is, it's still the damn loony left being oh, crazy. They're, yeah, they're damn abs- genders. Absolutely. But I mean, we will... S- they, but our Labour Party, they they kind of waver, right? And like, so to the point where um, Bill Shorten, uh, the guy who was going to be Prime Minister and then wasn't, oh, who wanted to ban the weekend, yes, who wanted uh, to- <laughs> Bill Joseph Stalin Shorten, that's yeah. the one. Um, wore, I believe, either the day before the election or to the election, a shirt that said Chloe Shorten's husband. Um, Okay. Oh, yeah. So All what right. we what we have in Australia is no kind of like grassroots movement to um, provide some sort of intersectionality uh, to really build on um, you know what what we've been seeing as far as our understanding of representation or that sort of thing. We just have that same sort of. Um, corporate wokeness at the very kind of mm. surface level where a bank will uh, make an ATM rainbow colored yeah. Um, yeah. for, the, for yeah. the you know express purpose of, of making more money it's it's ridiculous but but ab- absolutely no like to see Corbin uh, actually bring all these ideas together into a, a platform and a foundation uh, was um, absolutely heartbreaking when we kind of mm. you know it's it's m- 
me, I'm home or I'm holding up the picture of the barbecue and then I'm dropping it. I'm looking at what we have <laughs> yeah. and just sullen faced. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that T-shirt, to be fair though, is like true centrism because he's doing like you know he's doing sort of like you know male feminism, which is like maybe a little bit woke for some, but he's huh. also doing it via a novelty T-shirt, which is the most <laughs> dad thing you can do. That's Absolutely. one step up from the T-shirt that says "If found, return to the pub." Right? Like, <laughs> well, here, okay, so g- dragging us back on topic a little bit, right? The Doyle and Murray thing is uh, this whole idea that. They yes, they're in political power, but well, we assume the left has cultural hegemony, and any limit on our behavior sort of goes the Doyle Murray thesis. Even a social limit or one worked out through people making choices in the market is completely unacceptable and must be protested against. Yeah, well, because the market's good when it's the NHS, but it's bad when it's stopping you from saying the N word. <laughs> um, uh, but like the thing is, damn, we N word features are down. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm buying N-word swaps. I, I, and the thing is, <laughs> this like, time of economic turmoil. The, 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 but the thing is, I don't, I don't even know if if that's what he want, if that's what he wants to do. I think just there's he's, I think he's just furious at the idea that he couldn't if he wanted to, and so this theoretical limit on his behavior seems to be driving. Well, fury. I think also it, bear, it bears mention that Andrew Doyle, I mean, if you're just your garden variety, shitty racist times reader, Andrew Doyle is providing this service apparently because he's standing up against liberal intolerance as, you know, idiot, as horrible right wing editors frame it in this country. But if you've encountered Andrew Doyle on Twitter at all, you know, he's a thin skinned baby who melts down whenever anyone makes fun of him for having only one joke. And he's well, got all of this, all mm. of this cultural power behind him. I mean, you think about our show or shows like ours in Britain and how, like, we haven't even managed to get a single fucking bare bones mention anywhere. Andrew Doyle creates a stupid sock puppet account, the joke of which basically amounts to women are dumb and gets a book deal and constant fawning praise in all of these these media outlets, does a show that does poorly but still gets highly reviewed, even though, like, it's crap. And basically... He's still furious about it, and he, what he can't stand is that he gets online and does his lazy jokes, and mm-hmm. then somebody makes fun of him in the replies, and it gets more likes than his. That's really what it comes down to. And so he's basically created this into mm-hmm. this this massive culture war phenomenon that he's trying to hawk to people with Douglas Murray, who's a, a, who's espousing beliefs that are basically like yeah. race eliminationist, and that's apparently like. This is somehow in service of fighting intolerance when it really comes mm-hmm. down to a guy who should just get off Twitter because he can't stand the fact that there are people funnier than him that make yeah. fun of him. Well, I mean, these people have nothing to say, right? And like what, what characterizes all the reviews of Andrew Doyle's stuff is that it's like all of these columnists doing like the opposite of white guilt, which is where like they're all like these kind of like liberal lefty types who work at the Observer or whatever. And then they, they go and they go and watch like their friend Andrew Doyle's show about like, well, what if uh, what if your gender neutral toilet was a gun, actually? <laughs> and then they're like, damn, I guess I really do live in a bubble. I guess this is really important to get outside the bubble sometimes and see some fresh new ideas. And it's like, like, this isn't an idea. You're being spoon-fed diarrhea. Like, you, like, if you actually wanted to get outside of your bubble and listen to some ideas, you'd go to something entirely different from this. All right, but the thing is, he is he, the complaint that the, that there is this sort of pro- super progressive cultural hegemony that they're, that they're fighting against with resisting wokeness is sort of a complete fiction. If you want to know what the actual like cultural hegemony of it is in the UK, it's seven-piece bands that romanticize Kath Kidston and then the Fleabag extended universe. It's... <laughs> 
boring poshness. Oh, Fleabag uh, Infinity War. Yeah, Fleabag <laughs> Infinity War. Yeah. So uh, this is this Fleabag's is a, not a good. This is too, <laughs> this is some a, a, a snippet from a review of the hot new indie band Sports Team uh, from uh, The Guardian. Um, given the absence of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, band- also Sports Team is like something Mr. Burns would say. I'm just like you. I enjoy a sports team. Sports team. <laughs> <laughs> given the absence of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, bands tend to run away from Middle England. But for Rob Nags, the songwriter for Sports Team, it's where the action is. I like roundabouts, Britain and Bloom competitions, local parish newsletters, he says. High streets are covered in symbols, people's symbols of belongings, like an Emma Bridgewater tin. Uh, uh, so this, high, high streets are, are either closed down or, or, okay. or populated solely by vape shops and bedding bedding shops. Would so we like, like would we like some fun facts about Rob Nags, which is why he likes all of this stuff so much? I, mean, I was just, just going to say before you continue about like this is just someone whose personality is like Milton Keynes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, fucking sound sound the Oxbridge alarm. But I was at Cambridge <laughs> University with Rob Nags, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Rob Nags uh, went to uh, the the Dragon School and I believe Westminster, and was a member of the University Pit Club, which is basically like Cambridge's version of the Gridiron slash Bullingdon Club at Oxford. And uh, sports team, when they were first founded, used to play the Pit Club parties, and those were the gigs that they used to get. Um, and like, yeah, they're all just like. I mean, I don't know that they all went to public school, but at at least a few of them did and they're all just like fail forward like upper class dipshits but this for me is a really interesting way of dissecting like what the whole like Oxbridge class is really about right because I think people overly homogenize people who went to Oxbridge when people who went to Oxbridge fall in two groups people who went to public school before they went to Oxbridge and people who didn't and a lot of the people who have astronomically successful careers off the back of bullshit after Oxbridge what they're really getting is public school success Oxbridge just gives you like some connections and a few like bits of education Education privilege, but the real shit is like the people you knew at Eton. That is where, and so like all the people who didn't go to Oxbridge but went to Eton, they're doing the same shit. <laughs> it is indie rock that's sort of continuity from 2009 or whatever, yeah. and it's and they, they, the band goes on. I'm just looking at the picture of the band right now, and there's too many members, and not one of them is a DJ. We, we <laughs> yeah, where's the Slipknot guy? Damn, so, damn they're, they're, they're public school blazing squad. <laughs> we, we had this experience of life being quite mundane, said frontman Alex Rice, whose band made grew up in Cheshire, Kent, and Leeds. Again, Guardian mm. just does not mention that uh, <laughs> like at least some percentage of them are at public school. If you're a kid from Tunbridge Wells and you're going to the pitcher and piano on a Thursday, where's the music for you? You want something that romanticizes the world around you and makes you feel better about it. Num- number fucking one, right? This is like my, this is like me growing up in Kent, right? I totally get the whole like pitcher and piano um, being like the only place you can go to in the weather spoons. But like the music that they play is the music for these people, right? Kasabian, Arctic Monkeys, uh, the Fratellis, like all those Chico. bands. Probably. All those bands mm. that were like in the like in the kind of mid to late two thousands, which all kind of had the same hard indie vibe. Fly. Do we remember hard, hard fly? fly? Living yeah. for the weekend. Fuck, yeah. Mm. And like actually some of that music was kind of a little bit out there. Like there was that period of time when indie bands just decided to start like indie front guys just decided to start rapping for some reason. And that was like very short lived. Oh yeah. Um and then they decided to go like techno. But like all the music was basically okay, the same. No, number one, that never that Okay, we'll what, talk what, about it later. What, 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 I mean, what I mean is that like they got synthesizers and they just Calvin like, Harris, <laughs> the next gen. No, it was kind of there was a period before them. But anyway, what I'm what I'm trying what I'm trying to say, and I don't want to run over time, is that like this type of music that they're playing and that I was listening to on the way here, like it hasn't really changed since that time, but it also doesn't really sound that much different from the other bands. In fact, in many ways, 
because it's such a replica, it sounds worse. So it's kind of like you had all this kind of acceptable music that reflected your very mundane experience anyway, and you've just decided to make it worse. Right, but mm. so the the point here, right, is that Andrew Doyle is, and Douglas Murray are trying to resist the wokeness of the cultural establishment, but the cultural establishment is this. It's this Sports and Fleabag. The entrance music for that's, Andrew Doyle. That's and that's all. That's all it is anymore. And so it's it's just it's just boring, and it's boring on this on the establishment side, and it's boring on the establishment side of the people who are saying they're fighting the establishment. It's boring all the way down. I honestly, though, would love to see, given that I mean Doyle and Murray, we've talked about, but also sports team is sort of framing their their outlook and their you know their sort of ethos as in opposition to something, right? Like this is being phrased as, well, where's the music for these people who grew up in boring suburbs? And it's sort of like, could you could you, could you pony up an example of what uh, it is that it's you're trying Slipknot? to fight against? Because that's the that's the thing, right? Like it, it, it's all it's it's always in a way it's playing to this idea that there's an aggrieved majority, and I'm just wondering. Who do these people see as like the ones who are the, 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 as their enemy? Who are the, who do these people see as the the I don't know the the kind of the negative force that they're trying to fight against? They can never seem to articulate that. They mm. have to use a word like wokeness because that conjures up like white people I don't like. Mm. But mm. what what is that you're actually opposed to? That's that's the thing, right? Uh, I think that they are to bring it all back round. They all just need a windmill to tilt at. <laughs> or a windmill to refurbish before they beat a fox to death. Uh, so, uh, moving on. Uh, right now, the UK is going to have to deal with the numerous problems and challenges that the future is going to throw at us. And somehow, I don't think the uh, Andrew Doyle, Douglas Murray double act resisting wokeness will be enough. But we'll have the jingle jangle music of sports team to get Brexit <laughs> done to. Chill lo-fi indie music. <laughs> uh, and so I've got two visions of the future that are coming from the, uh, the very highest echelons of the country uh, below. Uh, the first is uh, pieced together from a series of articles and posts. It is to do with Dominic Cummings's plan to build a super defense agency to boost the economy in the north using 800 million pounds. Well, so we're, super defense. We're building nerve in Hull, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Ministers, goes the article from the Times, are preparing to develop two cutting-edge scientific research bodies in the Midlands and north of England after Boris Johnson's promise to, quote, level up investment outside the southeast. We're going to finally find out how many genders there are. Yes. Uh, we're going to settle this once and for as all. As Joe Biden said, at least three. Mm. Find an island in Bassett Law and call it Shadow Moses Island. That's how you got to do it. Female and malarkey. Uh, Downing Street. <laughs> Downing Street is said to be determined that an 800 million pound advanced research projects agency will be based outside the Golden Triangle of London, Oxford and Cambridge and wants to set up a center of scientific excellence modeled on MIT in the north. So the following quote is from a briefing mm. document obtained under a FOIA request by the new scientist. Our proposal is that a new body offering academics longer term funding spanning at least 10 years to tackle significant societal challenges, problems or opportunities could help do this and strengthen the UK's global reputation. Can I out there? Mm. You said 800 million pounds. That's not very much. Um, DARPA as an agency has an, has an annual budget of about three and a half billion dollars, but it's part of the overall Pentagon research budget. It's about one hundred and five billion dollars. So... Mm. 
I don't know what this is besides a press release, but I don't see how you're going to be able to build a nuclear-armed walking battle tank called mm. Metal Gear in Hull <laughs> with just 800 million pounds. We're going to revolutionize the heated I mean, seat I, system in the new Range Rover. I'm, I'm going to write a letter to Mr. Cummings and I'm going to say, that, look, dude, I've got this idea. So you could have this like small computer that sits on your desk and you can grow exactly one tomato inside it. Mm. Um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to work really well for him. Uh, saying, I, I, I think really you're well not wrong. I think this is basically, <laughs> yeah, this wrong. is basically just a government funded MIT media lab. Right. Oh, I'm loving this. Just like people are sitting in the cabinet going like, guys, Britain's got some serious problems. I'm, to solve this, we're going to have to get da Epstein money. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, what Dominic Cummings says, like, look, I've been listening to this really cool like technology podcast called Trash Future, and I've got this really great idea where like you can put like lobes on people's heads and create a social media network out of it. Mm. Oh, that's all it's going to be. It's also going to be somehow like we'll measure craniums as they, well. They, hell yeah, if they actually do create a research institute, and then then all of a sudden it just becomes like they only hire European researchers and basically like just grant them visas to come and live in Hull for three years or whatever <laughs> uh, and yes. like work on whatever faff shit they want to put together that's not going to mm. actually lead to any... Re- I mean, don't get me wrong, maybe they could do something, but like it's just, it, it, it's a shockingly, if you know anything about defense research and acquisitions, it's a shockingly low amount of money, mm. small amount of money. And so it's hilarious to me that this is, of course, given our extremely great press system in this country yeah. is being repeated uncritically as just like wow they're gonna revolutionize the north to be fair if you really want to get revenge on the europeans making them live in hull is a pretty good way to <laughs> <laughs> um theo you're 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 a university man mm. what's what's your take on this oh well i mean yeah first of all uh, that is a ridiculous amount of of money ridiculously tiny to do anything um i mean but we've we've had programs in australia where um from the like if you give this the very kind of um optimistic reading right which is that they you do get um you know research teams that get long term funding to actually just do stuff and not just because it makes money uh, we've we've had that you know especially in in australia and there are good things that come that come out of it but i just can't see that like in this sort of culturally cynical um climate that this is you know they'll they'll say that um, but it'll actually be like inventing a new kind of um, Lord of the Rings movie where all the hobbits are Muslims or something, right? Like it'll just be like a new way to fashion uh, racism or, or what have you. But if you, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna give people a whole bunch of make work, you could you could go worse than than eight hundred million pounds on on research, but you could mm. certainly do a lot a lot better because, I mean, we we kind of know what a lot of the problems are, and we just refuse to spend any of the money on them because they're too, um, you know, politically charged to actually do. Like uh, I haven't seen the words climate change come up yet in in any of this, so you kind of have to frown it and kind of wonder, hey, what's what's climate change? is pretty bad but we've got a giant robotic kangaroo that asks people if they're triggered so that's pretty good <laughs> so the, i don't know if you followed this and this is just a quick aside but uh one of the, the the details that wasn't particularly addressed in media coverage of the story was that when uh when the labor party under corbyn leaked those documents or shared the leaked documents about the nhs trade talks there was a rider or sort of a clause in the uh, the, the the executive summary and in the meeting notes that the u.s had stipulated that any future u.s trade deal explicitly could not mention climate change whatsoever yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was because it was too. It, and something tells me that a Tory government with a much smaller majority that was willing to go that far is not going to be any. Let's put it this way: 
they, they, they have zero incentive to become more aware of climate change or, or address it. Uh, so the idea that, that any of that would actually get handled or, or that this would enter into the conversation, I think it's just no, like no, you're, climate you're right. change. This is, this is not going to be used on anything that's actually, you know, meaningful or, or worthwhile, especially if it's something as politically charged as climate change. What it will actually be doing is trying to make that uh, Chris Morris sketch where they put the pedophile on the ISS with the child come true. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically pulling us, pulling us back for a moment, you guys sort of prefigured sort of what's coming next in this in the notes uh which space is space pedophilia space pedophilia that, so, baby that's what i signed up for <laughs> so it's uh, uh yeah. this is from from the article which is that dominic cummings uh mr johnson's chief advisor has backed a plan for a scientific research body modeled on on the defense advanced research project agency or darpa as nate you were saying in the u.s uh darpa was set up in 58 after the soviet union wa- launched the world's first satellite with a remit to prevent technological surprise and pump money into high risk high reward projects it has been credited with creating the gps self aircraft and what eventually became the internet. We're going to build a space that travels inside a dog. But like I said, we are now living in Dominic Cummings' blog, and that means we're in a political moment where much of what's going to happen, at least for now, while Cummings' star is on the rise, uh, can be discerned by looking at Dominic Cummings' blog and finding the right entries, which, because I'm a pain pig, is exactly what I did. So, Oh, no. This You've is been a- reading The Matrix again. This is an excerpt from the relevant entry. The ARPA history shows that a combination of vision, a modest amount of funding, so modest, mm. uh, with, a fe- with a felicitous context and process can almost magically give rise to new technologies that not only amplify a civilization, but also produce tremendous wealth for society. Felicitous context is one of the members of sports team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, and, and one of their great songs, Amplify Civilization, <laughs> whatever the fuck that means. Um, Love to see it. Isn't it time to do this again by reason with a capital R? Mm. Even with no Cold War... Oh, using use- the music editing software. <laughs> Even with no Cold War to use as an excuse. How about helping the children of the world grow up to think much better than most adults do today? So, uh, Theo, when, when you said... When- when you, when you were like, yeah, the, the, we know what the problems are. Yeah, we do know what the problems are. And in Dominic Cummings' vision of the future, the problem is that we don't have enough like commercially viable space travel or we don't know what the next internet's going to be. The prospect mm. of social collapse inside 100 years, well inside 100 years, does not seem to be a pressing concern to people who basically just want technology to be new kinds of toys, but also provide their a wizard did it theory of mm. social change. Yeah. Mom's um, net in space. I mean, they, they kind of believe that they're living in this, you know, 1950s comic book version of the world where they're going to put, you know, a man on Mars and he's going to have that stupid looking, you know, round helmet or whatever. Um, but we're actually living in the book Blood Meridian uh, and we're all the <laughs> uncritical kid just kicking the rock down the road, you know, uh, absolutely witness to some of the worst, uh, you know, things to happen in, in history and, and watching all of these disasters unfold before our eyes. And all of these dipshits, the, the you know, this dickhead floating this thought bubble and the Jeff Bezos's and Elon Musk's of the world are the judge dancing nude at the end. Uh, while the world is the baby that's being picked up by its feet and thrown against a rock. Um, I don't really, I think, I don't really know much more about that book, so I'm not sure whether there's like a talking just, dog uh, in you, there. Mm. 
I'm a huge fan of Cormac <laughs> McCarthy, and I do think that a future in which babies are eaten is probably the future we're going to see, which... A modest proposal. <laughs> is addressed in a number yeah. of Cormac McCarthy books. So, mm. uh, yes, I, I definitely think... Blood Meridian is probably a better comparison for what we're going to be facing then, or maybe The Road, versus Harry Potter, which is... <laughs> it's, it's Cormac McCarthy's The Smart Motorway. Um, <laughs> so, like, that's the thing. Like, what's completely clear to me from this project, you know, 800 million pounds for universities up north, too. Again, this is Cummings' own words. And I hate when people do this, when they crib from Mark Fisher, invent the future... Uh, he Before is, there wasn't the future And then we came up with it So now we live in it He is like He is like I, I think he My theory is that Cummings is dark Mark Fisher um, where <laughs> Dark he, Fisher Dark Fisher, <laughs> dark Fisher. Yeah, he is Black the, exploitation Mark Fisher He is the final boss Of the relentlessly Tech optimist Instagram Tories Because unlike Matt Hancock and Liz Truss Who just saw an Alexa And had their lives Changed forever mm. As you like to say Milo like, Bolt markets Cummings, <laughs> Cummings genuinely Has a worked out Version of his A wizard did it Theory of technologically Hand waving away All the world's problems Using what he calls The power of context The idea is like You know Oh well he looks at, at Like the institutional Rules around DARPA Looks that they mm. created the internet more or less by accident to facilitate other projects and then mm. says, well, we've got to do that again. And the only reason that that seems to make sense to him is because he on purpose ignores the material factors that led to the necessity of Cold War innovation in favor of just looking at like institutional rules yeah, of I mean, an ARPANET, institution. ARPANET was basically a, a means for people to communicate without phone lines or without uh, basically because like, using buried cables between computers in the event of a nuclear war. Yeah. And that's mm. you know what led to the internet. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I would say that just as, you know, that you can't look at a project that was started in the 50s and 60s that led to where we are now and be like, oh, this is all a deliberate thing. Like it was a, a lot of spinning out of things that happened by accident or by happenstance. But yeah. also we're going to uh, use LSD to destroy the Soviet Union type shit. Also, I mean, like if you look at the the military research budgets that have existed since Sputnik or since since the early 50s, really, and it's like the sheer amount of wastefulness involved like that that shouldn't be a model to follow mm. i mean like america where you can die from getting a fucking cavity you know but they spend we're now spending you know close to 800 billion dollars a year on the military or on the defense yeah. umbrella mm. well like, like, look the the material factors of of this kind of innovation now like the all the innovation all the innovation money during the cold war favored different different kinds of ways to like fight the fight the soviets or you know nuke the moon or whatever the material factors now just favor different kinds of theranos just mm. endless theranos not cold fusion so in trying to make, create arpa what dominic cummings has actually done is he has made the mit media lab but like army themed he's writing but his no. own version of capitalist realism just look at the author photograph he has a red lightsaber that's how you can tell them <laughs> apart but lots of the projects have unexpected benefits uh, like when we are trying to develop the new kind of black face we accidentally invented le shoe polish <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is back once again to the article and why this will almost certainly be a laughable failure uh which is that they admit towards the end, DARPA relies on program managers who fund universities and businesses to carry out research that might otherwise be seen as too risky by other research agencies. <laughs> New kinds of the N-word. Such freedom to fail has led to spectacular successes and spectacular failures. I'm sorry, but Britain... The idea that Britain is lacking a freedom to fail, uh, does it fa that does not take into account our entire political class. The existence of Piers Morgan. I was going to say, and the entire history of this country for the last century. Mm. But we don't have enough of a freedom to... What if you try to develop a new type of missile and the bank doesn't want to give you a loan? 
Mm. Think about all those. Think about all the missiles that we could invent that the banks just won't lend you money to invent that we can sell to Saudi Arabia so it can turn Yemen into a bay. I've what, received what? a loan from a Mr. Uh, C. Gaddafi. <laughs> What, what, what they've seen is that in the UK, like you can fail upwards in like the media world, right? Just by being like more of a dipshit will kind of get you um, more TV time. And what Dominic Cummings has basically seen is like, why don't we translate that to all industries? Mm. There's a reason why Britain wasn't the place where the MIT food computer was born. But that doesn't mean in the 2020s that we can't have something similar. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've built I've built a coal powered computer, and what a surprise! The libs are triggered. Exactly, Is it, they refuse to accept my that, new ideas. That's what Northern MIT pow- like MIT like Media Lab is going to be, right? <laughs> uh, Uber for flat caps. <laughs> what, one of the agency's most famous. This is back to the article. Blunders was its 1970s psychic spy program. DARPA mm. invested millions to see if telepaths and psychokinetics, who claim to move objects by thought alone, could carry out remote espionage. They also tried to develop a it. mechanical element elephant in the Vietnam War to help <gasps> troops in the jungle. I know exactly what Dominic Cummings is going to like. That the first project's going to fund. It's going to be exactly that, but it's going to like um, be like a surveillance, like a, a psychological like surveillance tool, mm. which will judge people's gender. Wait, can we go back to the fact that the U.S. Department of Defense built a fucking Digimon? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and now the U.K. can finally do what the U.S. was doing in the 1970s and, like, funding psychics. The thing is, realistically, the key... The key to like the keystone to this concept was given over in the fact that, oh, they won't be conducting research of their own. They'll just be funding businesses. It's basically Mm. just a way to channel a bunch of public money into the private sector, but like, which is what the conservatives always do. But it's doing so in a way that is themed according to a Dominic Cummings blog post. So we're going to get an MIT Media Lab, which is exactly what that does. MIT Media Lab, all it does is. Uh, bolster the like mm. marketing credentials of whatever company wants Ex- to sign yeah. up with them. Ex- except it's going to be like a worse version of it because like with the MIT Media Lab, like yeah, it was kind of like a research institute connected to a university, but it was also like in the American context where you have a very extremely well-funded mm. university, which may as well be like yeah. a like corporation. And most of this project, most of these like donations were done by like these very eccentric mm. bizarre people yeah. it was money that would otherwise have been spent on pedophilia and right. like the stuff they made wasn't good but it was definitely better than pedophilia right it's like marginally a little bit better than that yeah. whereas like in the uk because like there are, there are institutions in the uk that already do this so like i went to york and we had like these types of we had these uh you know places inside york university which were supposed to be like the northern powerhouses for mm. innovation and I struggled to kind of figure out exactly what they did because when I started yeah. in 2010, it was supposed to be this like big tech innovation hub. And when I left in 2013, it just became like space for businesses to like rent. Like you yeah. could rent, you could oh, rent so offices, we work. Yeah. right? Well, what, became, what, yeah. what the Tories want is children of men, but it's also the Jetsons. Like that, <laughs> <laughs> that is ultimately their vision. I, I, feel like, I feel like he may be going in wanting to kind of recreate the MIT Media Lab, but what's actually mm. going to end up happening in the next five years is that it's just going to be like, stuff where like you can rent out office space for mm. um you know yeah loan sharks and the one company that is trying to make a like te- telekinetic device where you can figure out whether people are like lying about being trans or not mm. a dog in a flying saucer <laughs> floating above like poor people fighting over a loaf of bread <laughs> <laughs> well things like we can uh we can ship you uh jim from jim's mowing if you if you desire have you guys heard about this <laughs> 
No, so our what? One of our biggest proponents of dark research um, is a guy named Jim who started the absolute like conglomerate. Uh, called Jim's Mowing, who does all your lawn work. Uh, you can just call them up and they come around on a weekend. Uh, and he's been funneling his- Giving you back the weekend, giving unlike back- that other wrongin. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he's been funneling all of his money uh, into um, experimenting on rats and building like rat societies and trying to scale it up and also trying to build the drug <laughs> um, from Limitless. But is but if the drug from Limitless <laughs> could cure black people of their certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, and- um, it's Ooh, it's yeah phrenology I, limitless. Oh, it is <laughs> Jim's. It is Jim's eugenics. I I, I beg you, please, please, uh, look up look up Jim eugenics. You don't have to go far. Uh, it is incredible. But the the wonderful thing is, I'm uh, Jim he, mowing, and this is my partner Jim. I, I love the idea that the lawn care king of Australia is trying to like fund fund. fund I don't know pharmaceutical DARPA for racism. Oh my! Oh, it's and, a, this it, and and it's a, it's, the wonderful it's, it's thing called, is, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. it's uh, it, he's doing it. He's only put a million dollars into it, and he reckons he's already seen results that he's afraid will destroy the very fabric of society. Uh, so <laughs> for eight hundred million pounds, just imagine what he could do. I honestly think yep. there's something that we can put together <laughs> here. Things could destroy the fact. That would be amazing. If the lawn mowing guy, through some research he did in his garage, managed to like phrenologize away society. Well, it's the, uh, that's what, uh, what, what Karl Marx said, you know. Um, uh, uh, hitherto, uh, phrenologists have only interpreted the skull shape. The point is to change it. Mm. Uh, but he's everyone looks like Bert from Bert and Ernie. So it says uh, the the article concludes. It is not clear whether the British agency will have a specific remit, such as climate change, or will tackle a variety of challenges. And uh, mm. yeah, it's going to be Jim's mowing. That's what it's going to be. It's going. It's going. We might as well just fund him because all this money is going to end up going to either guys like him or Amazon. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, hey, you know what? It's going to produce some fun baubles, and that's going to be good podcast content. Exactly. Wherever the funding goes, the same thing is going to be invented, which is going to be some sort of like phrenology device. Yes. Yeah, they're going to try and invent a right-wing podcast with good audio. It's going to, it's, it's, it's going, it's, it's going to be a version of the Odredek scanner from Death Stranding, but it's going to tell you all of the skull shapes in a three-kilometer vicinity. I've been very mm. sick, folks. I've been playing a lot of Death Stranding. Um, like Tinder, but for skull shapes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Before we, uh, before Which we, for cl- some people, it's just Tinder. Before, <laughs> before we close out, uh, I want to, I want to wrap us on another vision of the future. Uh, that's less about we're going to um, create the MIT Media Lab because that's been going great, um, and more of a specific vision uh, from our favorite horny Opus Day style Protestant weirdo Andrew Lillico. Oh, you guys oh, have yeah. them too. Yes. Wonderful. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's going to build a Gundam, but it's in a niqab. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> I, well, well, uh, I will, I will Gundams never. Gundams are too sexy. I will yeah. never. Too sexy. I'll never forget exactly. when. I'll never, Gundams. I will never forget when he posted uh, that he finds a woman in a niqab when you can just see her eyes. Extra alluring. But also loves to talk about like <laughs> a mad cap comedy. But it's like, you remember when one of the 7 7 bombers escaped the country in his wife's niqab? <laughs> and like Andrew Doyle is the border guy and he's like it's really Lilico. horny Lilico. and doing some like, uh, yeah, do- L- Lilico, sorry. And he's doing some, uh, you know, uh, like Inspector Cluzo well. style hitting on this guy who he doesn't know is a dude. And uh, yeah. Oh, very. See, that's, mm. that's unwoke comedy, but it's actually funny. Yeah. Uh, so here is the, his article from CapEx is colonizing 
making space economically viable? No. You can answer any headline with no, and if we could take out economically and just go with viable, still no. <laughs> um, Stephen Hawking, he begins, has warned... <laughs> Amazing. What's the, I'm going to begin this article with the smartest person I can think of. <laughs> Stephen Hawking has warned that humanity... I think I might have... I think. I might have like cut out some of the verbiage at the beginning. Okay. Uh, to go try it to get to the began point. With Stephen Pinker. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen's Pinker and Hawking. Stephen Hawking has warned that humanity must start to colonize a new planet within the next century if it is to survive. Yeah. I mean that's just wrong, isn't it? Yeah. This is incorrect. Like these people are so fucking stupid. Like I think I've said this on the podcast before, but like literally anything you could do to make Mars inhabitable is stuff you could do easier on Earth. Like if you're going to build a fucking biodome and live in it, build it on fucking Earth where the materials and the people to build it are and they don't need a fucking ventilator in order to breathe while they're doing it. Like, it's just so stupid. We're not running out of space. We're running out of fucking livable climate. And if you're going to build an artificial climate, do it here. Or better yet, just build some fucking wind turbines. You idiots. You venal fucking cunts. It's not fucking difficult. The technology exists. You're just blundering around going, oh, what are we going to do about climate change? There's like a million scientists going like, it's like these 10 things. Like, I don't know. Guess we're going to have to build a pickup truck on Mars. Seems like the only thing for it. Me and my billionaire pals are going to have to invent space pedophilia. Otherwise, there's no future for the human race. (laughs) Fucking hell. So uh, mark that on your bingo cards, everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, the reason why they want to build it on Mars is because if they build it here, then it might affect like their property prices. Yeah. So something it's, about it's, Mars being the truest yeah. international waters. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, it's, this is the Julian Mom on Mars. He is, yeah, but beating up those moon foxes. Mm. Uh, uh, moon foxes are an invasive species on Mars. It's actually yeah. not cute that they're there. And yeah. that they're gray, and the Mars ones are red. Yeah. So. Uh, we we he Lilico actually is one of these um, people who says uh, that stopping climate change is just not possible. So I don't know mm. if he was a climate change denier who just like as soon as like it became super obvious flipped to well not yeah. possible. Looks like we all have to just accept that it's happening. Except I read this article and he's while he thinks doing like stopping climate change on Earth is impossible. He thinks entirely changing the climate and atmosphere of Mars is possible. He doesn't go into any detail about how you would go about doing that, but he thinks you could make Mars like without biodomes an inhabitable planet somehow. We'll get into that. Um, so. Some argue, he says, that the colonization of space should be our era's version of the great voyages of discovery undertaken in the past. Which is about stealing gold and propping up the Spanish monarchy. (laughs) (laughs) And that we should channel the spirit of the Portuguese and Spanish explorers of the 15th and 16th centuries. Others okay, believe by trying to find India. So it sounds like an elaborate, like, we're taking smallpox to Mars. Yeah. (laughs) Others believe that the history of colonization is the wrong model for our approach to space. Mm. And that instead, we should think of it as our era's great version of the great engineering projects. uh, Sorry, our era's version of the great engineering projects of the past, such as the pyramids or the Great Wall of China. Fuck hell. It's like they're playing. Yeah. It's like it's like they're playing Civilization. They they don't know what the goal is, but they know if they build enough wonders of the world, they win. Except uh, it's wrong, and mm. we all die. Yeah. 
So just fact, building Las Vegas on Mars. Fact, uh, Theo, that is sort of what the main thesis is, because that's what he says next. Such epic projects have, in the past, been a key factor in binding and guiding civilizations, and mm, in the, like the great, Belgian Congo, and in the great men of civilizations pressing towards some worthwhile goal instead of impre- oppression or decadence. What I wonder fuck? what he means by that. What? Um, what does he think, think the well, pyramids were? Uh, he thinks that the pyramids were a great civilizational goal that all the Egyptians got together to achieve so they could hmm. make their civilization stronger. It was obviously. a 100% employment scheme for the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the pyramids give you an extra worker and then give all other workers extra builds until the end game. It's a very strong <laughs> I mean, early game wonder. The pyramids. Oh, you build the pyramids <laughs> and then all of your cities automatically have a granary, all right? And <laughs> that stops you from having to build granaries in every city, at, le- at least until you enter into the medieval age. Like, what's... What is the what also what do we mean binding and guiding civilizations and in the great men of civilizations pressing towards some worthwhile goal? Is some Tolkien ass prose, I'll give it that. Isn't not de terraforming Earth a worthwhile goal? It's like, no, we need to we need to have some big thing that's bigger than our I, I get what he's trying to say, which is that he's trying to be some Burkean conservative who's like, mm. we need to give all of the people of, of, of Britain a project that's going to go on for longer than their lifetimes so they can feel invested in it instead of feeling invested in. I don't know, their material factors such as getting housing and food and stuff, which is necessary, but it's not fun. It's I called mean, Brexit. It's literally called Brexit. A project which is impossible to achieve will last longer than everyone's lifetime and it's just a big distraction from all the things that actually also, matter. Also, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, like we had our great British in, in infrastructure project that was you know was going to alight the imaginations of people for generations. It was called the Channel, and they built it. And they're like, put up barbed wire around it in case anyone tries to get into this country. Like mm. it, it, the idea that there's the, the, this is some you know milestone that's going to you know it's going to unify people in this country. I mean, do you think ancient Egyptians who were mostly fucking slaves were like, damn, I feel so 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 much a part of a cogent national whole because of these mm. huge pointy rocks that we built? You know, the nation state of pharaonic Egypt. Yeah. Honestly, literally one day after we discover some kind of extraterrestrial life, the sun headline will be space Muslims, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They have, these projects have, however, come at a cost and taken some time. (laughs) (laughs) Have they indeed. (laughs) Before we set off to colonize or terraform other worlds, we should perhaps ponder whether we have the, what is it? Okay. Everyone forget what you read in the notes. What do you think he thinks we need? National space scheme. Milo got it right. Determination. Determination and commitment for resources to see it through. Let us believe it hard enough. Let us Mm. consider as a comparator. First, the Portuguese project to discover if, as if, as they suspected, Africa had a southernmost extent, and if it did, to find a sea route to India. The Portuguese were like, "Oh, will this land ever end?" (laughs) It's like they just think there's like just infinite land. (laughs) Stupid Portuguese. Um, The average life expectancy in medieval Europe was around thirty, and the Portuguese. This is where he gets. I love the Andrew Lillico articles. They always have math in them. Mm. Uh, the, the average life expectancy in medieval Europe was around 30. The Portuguese started their attempt to run Africa in 1419 and got there in 1498. Some 79 years, or 2.6 times, the average life expectancy at the time. That's not how life expectancy works. You were either died as you, like, in, like, 
at like the age of two, or you mm. lived until you know probably I mean, your fifties or sixties. A lot of people died in their thirties and forties, but I mean, it was that was the average because most people yeah, they were on you know, fentanyl. To be fair, mo- mo- most people fucking lived on sawdust. Like, yeah, there are plenty of people who lived longer than that. They were called royalty. Yeah, the and and the people who knew about the expedition to Africa and could like make a resource commitment to it mm. probably did live for into their seventies. The people who had no idea about the, about the voyage to Africa and who were whose lives were being shortened to like make it happen, those are the people that died in their thirties. They had no idea what was All going the people on. They found out about it suddenly by some Portuguese people showing up. <laughs> <laughs> Current life expectancy for, for developed countries is around eighty. A project that would take around two hundred and ten years to complete would be one that would look as long relative to our lives as the Portuguese spent rounding Africa. Estimates vary of how feasible it would be to, for example, terraform. Mars, but well, do they a- vary from like estimates of it's impossible to things colonists think? Is that the <laughs> is those are the parameters? But a not uncommon view is that uh, m- is that Mars could become a wet planet suitable for humans in about a hundred thousand years. <laughs> yeah, if we simply siphon all the liquid off of the brains of our colonists and pump it onto the surface of Mars, and that thing is that should be that should be enough for Andrew Lillico to say, well. Okay, I guess that's unrealistic. Time to yeah. delete this column and not publish it. If we just do the entire it. history of the human race again <laughs> before we all die. Um, so, uh, Theo, what do you what do you think? A hundred thousand years? Oh, I'm all right. All right, I, I have some questions. One, what the fuck Solve does climate he, change for a hundred thousand years? What, what does he think that you you can actually do by terraforming Mars and by living on Mars? There's no there's no fucking point. You don't like someone said. There's not not just surface area. The problem is not just like the amount of square meters you have to live on. But second of all, you, how how on earth is Building the technology to do this, does he think that, okay, so the rocket part I can kind of get behind, right? Because you, you put a couple of people in a ship, uh, the the kind of finance of it versus building a boat, it doesn't really stack up, but, uh, you know, you can kind of see it. Honestly, like, what? What is the goal here? What is he? What is he? He's like, well, I mean, we did, we did, we did eradicate, you know, huge swaths of native civilization by disease alone. Never mind, like the imperial conquest and genocide. But we also introduced peppers, mm-hmm. and now, <laughs> now mm. Europeans avoid them because they think they're too spicy. Now we have spaghetti. Awesome. Mm. No, I mean, like his real, his whole thing is about. Um, how society needs to come together around a grand vision of a national project. Mm. And so for him, like avoiding the death of the species is sort of like a not really important. And like these are the kind of charlatans and morons, right? Yeah. It it doesn't have that, that um, thing that people can really, can really rally behind. um, Whereas sending several people to a lifeless planet to die. It's got a little, it's got a little ring to it. it's got a little that's reality TV. That that's Love Planet. That's I mean, what that is. That's the thing, right? Is that Andrew Lillico needs to talk to more experts on trying to inhabit a dead desert island, also known as Australia. Yeah, what what he's envisioning is Australia too, which I cannot get behind. <laughs> N word boogaloo. Um, well, this is, I mean, this also for me is the other fascinating thing about it, which is the thing that Lillico doesn't address in this article is the fact that even if you could terraform mars you have no way of getting a, a substantial proportion of the earth's population there like at best what you're looking at is like starting again with like yeah. a small population of incredibly inbred people so it doesn't mean anything to majority of people who live on oh, so it's so it's like <laughs> that show with the um it's like the show with the dutch where they all get together on the island and get nude and and have sex except we mm. send the dutch to mars 
Yes. A Dutch, Dutch Mars. We're repopulating Mars with a bunch of billionaires and people of indeterminate age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, he then says, right, that, like, look, the, the point is, don't, don't forget, right, like, that the, the, the Cummings thing and, and this thing, it all fits together into one vision of the future, which is, well, we've, uh, we've won politics. Mm. Now it's time to just sort of have a little bit of fun. Now we're gonna now we're gonna fritter away our time um, dreaming of what kind of science fiction things <laughs> we could fuck do. around and terraform Mars. Yeah, dreaming of what kinds of science fiction things we could do. Well, never actually, you know, doing them. You know, because it's the the ent- the entity that would fund a does a co- colonize Mars mission from Britain is the eight hundred million pound MIT Media Lab of the North. So they are mm. we are going to continue to res- to see over the next several years. Ream after ream of these. Oh well, now we can. Of course, we can go and you know build a, a house on the sun. But it's only ever going to end up but being at night. <laughs> like um, exactly. It's o- going to only ever end up being like a Wi-Fi connected mood ring mm. from like the University of Manchester's new four hundred million pound like research department in conjunction with Raytheon and Disney. Don't we love? I'm off to colonize Mars. Uh, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're building a Greyhound track on the Sea of Tranquility. <laughs> Sorry, that's on the moon, but you know, you get what I mean. All right, I'll be back later. Uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're all gonna, we're gonna have like, we're gonna have a hyperloop that somehow connects like, I don't know, like Bradford and Penrith. Like it's going to be just pointless projects that don't work. Hyper, hyperloop is exactly the right comparison, though, right? Because like, this is if the the mission to send, uh, you know, Portuguese explorers. And ended up in in America. Why have you just ended up being a whole um, gigantic boondoggle whose um, unstated purpose is to siphon riches away from uh, the Portuguese royalty and towards like you know the richest people in in the land? Right? There's no way that such a project that he's describing under the leadership that we have now that he is propping up and and so happy to to have wouldn't just end up in as a multi-trillion dollar uh, excuse to enrich the worst military contractors on earth right like we mm. can't build a fucking airplane anymore how the hell are we going to send someone to mars it's it's absolutely mind-boggling mm. But having said all of that, the future that I want to live in is definitely one where the, the newly flooded Mars, uh, Elon Musk is there and he has to be rescued from a submerged cave by a bunch of aging British divers <laughs> while grumbling about how they're all pedophiles. Uh, so I, I'm just to, to a couple more things on this, then we'll close out. Uh, he says, OK, we can't terraform it, but maybe we can treat it as an engineering problem. He says, what? What uh, the fuck? The Great Pyramid mm. at Giza is generally reckoned to have been built by approximately 20,000 men working for around 20 years. The population of ancient Egypt at the time was 2 million. If we assume the workforce was around half the population, that means those 20,000 workers constituted around 2% of the workforce of ancient Egypt. Productivity of an Egyptian worker working on the pyramids was probably it. He's just having fun at this point. They <laughs> use slaves. Like he's just. I, lo- I love columnist math. It's one of my favorite yeah. things where they're just doing like let's just let's just put some numbers to this and like they're going to be numbers that I've made up in my own hand. You can make up your own numbers at home. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost it's almost like a, a huge central tenet of all of the traditions of a particular religion that I happen to fucking be part of uh, is really into the fact that the pharaoh was bad and did bad things to people who were living in Egypt. I mean. There's a whole lot, mm. a whole lot of, of institutional memory around the pharaoh being bad. Yeah, so but I mean, institutional memory about the pharaoh. <laughs> let's just say 
uh, I don't think you can be like, well, they, they were very efficient in how they organized their workforce. Listen, you can't it's spell like, Pharaoh without fair. Like 4,000 <laughs> years later, we're still singing songs about the fucking plagues. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, why are you stepping on Andrew Lillico's dreams with all of your, um, you know, facts? Uh, Andrew Lillico will forever be the guy who got on Twitter and said, oh, come now. Are there really any documented instances of the English treating the Irish badly? And so for that, <laughs> I would say... I don't think his professional opinion on terraforming another planet is necessarily up to snuff. So, uh, mm. terraforming Mars may prove quite expensive, but uh-huh. past president, but past precedent suggests that we should be willing to spend some sixty to three hundred and thirty times the entire world GDP on doing it. Wait, wait. Oh. Excuse me. It's well, amazing how solving climate change <laughs> would be like an order of magnitude cheaper than that, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, this would be cool. So yeah. basically what you have to do is convince everybody when you're solving climate change that we actually live on Mars yeah. and we're solving, we're solving the Mars problem. Yep. Oh, it's like Planet of the Apes. Yes. But it's Planet of the Billionaire Pedophiles. Yes, we're going to have to do Planet of the Apes. Um, so he says, Dr. Bezos, Dr. Bezos, Dr. Bezos, Dr. Bezos, oh, Dr. Bezos. Uh, so... Uh, drawing on econo- drawing on, on economic history that I just made up, we see that terraforming Mars, at least understood as an engineering project, rather than as a project to, to uh, making it habitable for humans, should be doable on a time scale and resource commitment not altogether unlike those past civilizations have been willing to take on. Are we less than them? Are we content to descend into decadence? Or shall we begin? Fucking hell. This is literally the book for that Mark Corrigan writes in Peep Show, Business <laughs> Secrets of the Pharaohs. Uh, does it descend into decades? What does he think that we're some last days of Rome shit? I mean, the fact that we spend all our time jacking it to women in the carbs. Yes, but could we also do this? I mean, if there's anybody who seems to me to be in- indicative of Western decadence, it's the fact that Andrew Lillico has a has a public platform as somebody of no real significance other than the fact that he's a useful idiot. But I mean, Mm. you know, he's richer than the majority of people who have ever lived. And yet this is his contribution to society. But when, when you basically exist to be like the Elon Musk of dads who read books, they bought in Waterstones. This is the kind of thing you come up with. I have some respect for him in that sense, though, because like most people in his position, especially like at this current time, when like being a columnist, mm. being like a kind of center right, right wing columnist, is like the easiest fucking job in the world right now. He's kind of just like really pushing the boat and being like, okay, I see like the Douglas Murrays and stuff. They're going for like you know the classic racisme. Yeah. Um. You know they're going for like you know the what do you call it like the boilerplates. Uh. Mm. Like a tradition, the traditional like. Have you, you seen know, these Muslims they have now? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's just like he's kind of decided to just be an accelerationist. He's just like to really set himself like at a different level. He's just like this is basically business pesadism. What about yeah. racism but in space? You want to really get away from the refugees? Well, <laughs> no one's going to space in a rubber dinghy. <laughs> Um, so like I have like begr- I have like a very small begrudging respect for him for at least kind of like showing mm. that there is variation in this very tired, exhausted form of like punditry. Yeah, building a column as an affront to God is something <laughs> I really appreciate. <laughs> that's that's it. That's what Britain's heading for now is the column of Babel. <laughs> it is a column full of Babel, to be fair. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that about does us for today for this, the first bonus episode of TF Season 2 uh, 2020. So mm. uh, I want to say, first of all, Theo, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, you can check out Bunta Vista, and I insist that you do, uh, so you can hear more fun things uh, about uh, the uh, this toilet that Australian conservatives love. <laughs> they love a toilet. They really do. Um, if we ever do like a tour in Australia, we should go visit that We should go toilet. visit the toilet. We should. We'll do a selfie. We're all, all stacked up taking a shit simultaneously. <laughs> like, hi, we're going to buy one pack of gum, but then we're all going to have a piss from it. Yeah, damn. Yeah, take that take that small business owner. We're doing it because we <laughs> yeah. hate you and we were indoctrinated to hate you in our university. And then we're going to drink that piss thereby getting a free drink. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. I see you crying, small business owner. Are you crying? The that loser. I'm- the loser small business owner. He can't ha- I'm drinking my own piss. Folks, he can't handle it. He can't handle it for a nasty guy. Um so, uh again, Theo, uh I, I know I thanked you, but after that, I feel like I have to thank you again uh, <laughs> for, for putting up with all of us. It's quite, it's um, quite all right. It's like, it's like you don't have to go to a church to find God. In Australia, you don't have to go to that toilet uh, to really commune with the toilet. The toilet is all around <laughs> you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That's that. Welcome to 2020. The toilet is all around you. <laughs> Indeed. Um, also, oh, I really need to plug some dates. Uh, on the 17th of January, I'm going to be doing my Edinburgh show in Liverpool. I do not know people in Liverpool. If you live in Liverpool, if you know people who live in Liverpool, uh, please buy a ticket, make them buy a ticket, do something to come to this show because a friend of mine did a show at the same venue and sold six tickets. I am concerned about this. Uh, also, 18th, the day after, I'm doing a show in London. Same deal, but it's a filming. So if you want to come down and have your laugh cord on film come to that also february doing shows at leicester comedy festival and in london there'll be a link that goes it's like a generic link that links to all of them in the description so if you're up for seeing some comedy hit that up buy some tickets because your boy is poor at milo milo's website milo.edwards yeah um that was one yeah Okay. That's not what my website is. Uh, it's yes. mylobbits.co. And also thanks to uh, Jin Sang for our theme song. Here we go. You can find it on Spotify. I insist mm. that you do. Uh, anyway, that has been all from us for today. So we will see you in a few days. Yeah.